Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be The Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah Fetterman. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Anderson. And I'm your other host, David Dominguez. And we are continuing yet again through the book, Gentle and Lowly. We are currently in chapter 16 today, uh, titled, I believe, Lord, Lord, is that... The Lord. The Lord, the Lord. The Lord. Sorry, there's a couple uh, uh, words off there. It's fine. Um, but if you are listening, uh, we would love for you guys to follow along in the book, and we would love for you to follow along so much that if you would like a book, we would happily give it to you for free. Had a couple people do that. We have. We have had email us. several people yeah. email us, and all you have to do is email us at podcast at com. And just send us your address and we will mail it to you for free because it is that helpful of a book to really get to, well, I won't spoil what it does, but we'll talk about that in a second. I'll let Kevin answer that. Uh, and then as you have questions or thoughts about the book or just in general, feel free to reach out to us also at podcast at com, and we will do our best to respond. And maybe your question, if you want it, might show up on a podcast later. Who knows? David over here is so excited to maybe see that happen one day. Uh, <laughs> anyways, with that, as we're going through this book, obviously we recognize that some of you don't necessarily uh, start at the beginning, but you might just jump right in uh, to an interesting topic or someone may share something with you. So we always like to go with a quick overview. And in light of that, Kevin, what is Gentle and Lowly about? Yeah, so this book was written to... Um, help us understand the heart of Christ, um, who, who he really is, uh, what is, what is most natural to him, uh, what, what ignites, uh, within him, um, as he moves towards sinners and, and suffers. So, you know, it's written for believers, but also non-believers, but I, I think especially for believers who maybe have grown weary and, um, you know, broken down, um, maybe at the reality of their own sin, maybe at the hurt and brokenness of the world they see around them, um, so that they might understand um, God's love for them, um, even in the midst of their disappointment and all that they see around them. Yeah, and then not only do we want to tell you uh, what the book is or what it's about, but also why we're going through this, because the beautiful thing that this book does is it doesn't just give us these big ideas that are heady, um, but it really tries to get to our hearts and challenge us towards a relationship with God and deepening that relationship. So at the end of the day, your goal is not to go away and go, aha, I know new things. It's to simply yeah. be like, wow, like this is God and he loves me. And like he loves me more than I ever realized. And to grow in one that is, and to just see that relationship flourish as we go through this more and more. Um, so specifically today, then, uh, we're going to hit on one of my favorite chapters, and David, what is this chapter about? 
Yes, so chapter 16, titled The Lord, The Lord, seeks to highlight who God is as he has revealed in the Old Testament. And so the basis of this uh, chapter is Exodus 34, verse 6, which he said, it says, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. So pulling from this, the author reminds us that the bent of God's heart is ultimately mercy, right? And that his glory, as the verse tells us, is goodness. His glory is ultimately lowliness, which has been the point that he's been making this whole book, right? And so what he's trying to remind us is that even in the Old Testament, God has been revealing himself to be gentle and lowly with his people. Yeah. Now, I again, I do love this chapter for this very topic. And, you know, as you're talking about what his glory is and like what demonstrates his glory, I think that does lead us into this first question with a really, really packed question of our past and our understandings and histories of what do you think of when you hear the phrase, the glory of God? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I think, when I hear that phrase, cause it's used a lot, a lot, a mm. lot. Um, and honestly, it, I, in, in a lot of ways, it would be probably hard to use that term um, out of a context because <laughs> when I, when I think about the glory of God and what comes to mind, for me, is all that God is, like all of it, all all that encompasses, which would take us hours to to parse through and, and think through. Um, but you know, it's it's His various existence, um, because God is glorious. Uh, it's all that He does. It's all that He has done, and it's all that He will do. Um, it's all that He is. It's all that He says, because He is. Glorious. So, so when I hear that phrase, you know, I, I think like the totality of Scripture, the totality of the history of Israel, the totality of the history of the church, uh, the future promises of God and who He is. Uh, so, so it's a pretty vast idea. I think what Dane wants us to see, though, specifically, and and the fact that he he brought up Exodus thirty three and Exodus thirty four. Um, were some specific things about God's glory and things that we probably would not define as glorious if we were to use them in describing someone else, right? But we see in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, we see his glory being shown through his goodness, and we see his glory being shown through his lowliness. And I, I think there's a there's a tendency when we think of the word glory to like attach that to the idea of, of winning mm. or vic or, or victory right or conquering and i think that the idea that dane wants us to wrestle with in this chapter is this idea of the the posture and the heart of god being exactly what we've been talking about all along which is this idea of his goodness towards us being ever present and his lowliness towards us um, being both accessible but also gentle, being wrapped up in the concept of, hey, that is the glory of God being yeah. put on display towards us. And it's not something I think that we would often attribute to the glory of God. We might even attribute it to God, 
but we might not call it the glory of God on display, but because God is glorious, it certainly is his glory on display. For sure. Yeah, kind of tracking with just what you're saying, like the more I hear you say that and the more I think of this chapter, I'm like, this really prepares us to like the 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 shift that we get at the cross, right? Where like we see Jesus doing what? Conquering through death. Right, which to most people are like, how, how, like this, this is why, like to most people, the gospel makes no sense because you're like, why are you worshiping a guy who literally got himself killed? Like that doesn't seem like a very glorious thing, right? But like that's why it's just so clear how the gospel just flips our expectations upside down, which is something that this book I feel like has consistently sought to do. Even, and and I love the way that like Dane has has done that he hasn't like said like this is what i think he's just like look at what god reveals about himself in scripture and wrestle with the connotations and things that you're bringing to the text on your own because yeah like i wish my answer reflected more more of what kevin said but my initial reaction is still to just think like glory like you said power just like just like the the like godly attributes like like all knowing like all these things that i'm like Anything that humans can't do, I'm like, oh, any that's that's glorious that God can do that. But then, like you said, you go you go to scripture and God like reveals himself as as his glory being his goodness. And I'm like, yeah, I I don't think I would have tied that together. Um, and this is why I think this book has been useful because it says, Yeah, most our, our our natural inclination is to not tie goodness with glory, right? Like mm-hmm. What what's like the phrase that most of our society says like oh good, good guys never win right mm-hmm. or like or like the good never prosper nice and guys it, finish last right, right. so yeah. so like we we have this already kind of like built into our mindset and God's like yeah like I don't like play by your rules yeah um so this is why we we, we come to scripture to be to be changed by it yeah and I think like another challenge too like if I think about my thoughts on glory just like before reading this chapter is. Oftentimes you might think of like this cold hearted God who's like, you know, my glory and, you know, there's no compassion or heart behind it. But, you know, this totally flips that on its head to be like, no, that's not what his glory is about. It, it is like compassion. It's from love that we see his glory come, um, you know, and, and I think like there's a lot of maybe idea that God's glory is through gain and like he is gaining glory. But his glory is in his giving and his like giving to us and like sacrificing. And it's like so counter to like our view of what glory renown and like praise are that it's just phenomenal. Yeah. I I think it's good that you brought that up as a, because there's a tendency for us, I think to, to say things like we need to bring glory to God and all that we Mm -hmm. do or whatever else. And and that, that is a factual statement, right? But to go back to even something you said about this idea of God not needing anything or thinking through his power, um, you know, like, 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 like God's not sitting in the, the third heaven right now in the throne room being like, man, like, thank goodness these guys are recording this podcast right now to, to give me glory. I really need it. Like the tank was running empty. It's like if, if we understand the beauty and the self-sufficiency of God, we, we also see that him running after, loving, serving his people, even to the point of death, death on a cross, right, as you were saying, um, is wrapped up in, in, in 
and the reality of his glory, meaning whether we're we're singing praises or bringing worship or attention to his name or not, like God is still glorious. It's just a matter of how will we respond to that and how are we going to properly think through through who he is when we think about this concept of the glory mm-hmm. of God. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd say, I mean, even, like, I think Jesus puts it pretty well when he's like, I mean, ultimately, if you guys don't, the stones will. Like, like God God will receive his glory and be be glorious whether we want to participate in that or not. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah. So as we continue to look through this idea of God in the Old Testament, and, and specifically as we're looking at glory here, um, have you considered before that God is said to be provoked to anger time after time throughout the Old Testament, but never provoked to love or provoked to mercy. What does this mean for you right now as you navigate life? Yeah, so I would say that it means that I can live my life for God confident in his love, knowing that his divine mercy is ready to burst forth when I come to him in repentance. Now, still knowing that can I provoke him to anger with my actions? Absolutely, right? Like, I, I think Scripture's very clear there. Um, but his his ultimate, his ultimate almost inclination towards me is his desire to show me mercy, right? And, and, and I think that is, I think that is as balanced as, our Christian walk needs to be because I, I do think it's a fine balance, right? You can fall, and, and, and again, this is nothing new. If you read specifically the New Testament where they're addressing this, right? Like you can fall in one extreme where you're like, "Well, God is gracious and, and merciful, so let 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 me sin, let me sin some more so that His grace can abound," right? And like clearly, no. Or you can fall into the other extreme where you're like, "Oh my gosh, I have to keep everything perfectly, or else." This God's just waiting to smite me down. And so I think what what this passage is trying to make clear to us is that there is this this balance here um, that ultimately, yes, God can be provoked to anger, but at the same time, what his ultimate I would I, I guess inclination is just the, the word that I'm kind of like landing on towards us is his he desires to show mercy. He he desires that all would would repent, right? So, so I I found this section of the the chapter like really really interesting, and I think this might be another time where Dane may be something saying something I agree with, but maybe there might be something where where I'm going off a little bit. So, so you guys might need to help pull my thoughts together because I'm pulling from a couple different things. I was telling Isaiah earlier that um, I've done so much sermon prepping over the last several weeks for like months in advance that my brain feels like it's starting to become mush but as, as i was thinking through this idea of him talking about us provoking god's anger i felt like in the chapter he was trying to assuage this like negative connotation we have with god's anger would you guys agree with that what do you mean by it? so so like thinking that like oh i can make god angry but it's okay because his ultimate position like his his ultimate like heart towards us is one of mercy and love was i over reading that in the chapter do you guys think or or, or no i think what you just said is a fair representation all right so here is where i would maybe differentiate towards that i think 
I think Dana's presenting that as a problem that Christians might bring into their, their view of God. That I would agree with. I think oftentimes, I think the problem we have is thinking through God's anger as, as something being something that we provoked and it being problematic for God. Mm-hmm. Because, because I think like if we see God get angry, we think, oh, God, God's angry. He's upset right now. But, you know, we're, we're getting ready to study the book of Judges going into the fall. And I've seen God's anger on display a lot throughout the book of Judges, right? But here's, what I, here's what's fascinating about every time you see God punish or discipline, whatever term you want to use, Israel, with uh, because of breaking the covenant and running after the gods of the Moabites or the Philistines uh, or the Midianites or, or whoever it may be in the region. It says that God's anger burned, and then he allowed one of these foreign kings to attack them. But, but at, like by the third or fourth time I saw that, I, I think I was like in the section on like uh, Deborah and Giles' uh, uh, wife, that I'm like, like it finally like kind of clicked with me and hit me. I'm like, God's angry because he loves these people, and they basically spit in his face. Like, it's not an angry because my team lost the game or my car won't start or I don't, or I, like, I'm, I'm like, think about it. I think about it from this perspective, right? Like, so you and I are going to relate with this a lot because we're married. Isaiah might one day. One day. Right? <laughs> Ladies, he's single. Um, like, if Jackie wore to violate the vows that we committed to one another on our wedding day, I can tell you exactly what emotion would well up in me. Anger. And I think I would be completely justified in having that that emotional response. Why? Because I love her. And when I think about like, like, I think like this may be like a key moment for us. Like if we see this in this chapter and we think about provoking God's anger. And I, th- I do think this is where Dane was really strong, right? Because he was telling us, but hey, God's posture is a heart of, of, of mercy, mm-hmm. right? And lowliness and graciousness towards us. And that I would agree with. But I think it'd also be important to see that, that God's anger and discipline and response to what we've provoked him to is part of that love towards us. Right? Like I think the great fear would be is that God wouldn't be jealous to for his people. Ah, yeah, go worship Baal. Right. Right? Go worship Allah. Yeah, yeah, go worship Poseidon or whoever. Like I not a big deal. Come back if you feel like it. Like, could you imagine a, a marriage like that where, like, a husband and wife were like that with one another? Like, it'd be so sad. It's like, why? why? And our God, right, says, like, nope. And we see it throughout the Old Testament. He comes after his people time and time again. He disciplines He disciplines them, right? And we see in the culmination of Christ, right, that his posture is ultimately of love. And that's not something we provoke, right? It's just because he does love us. Because he just is that, but but I do think like it would it would be important for all of us, and if you're listening here, to just sit and wrestle with a second, uh, like 
on this idea of like, if you've provoked the Lord to anger, you should repent. But the fact that God is angry and disappointed is actually a really, really good thing because it shows that he loves. Yeah, and and I think that's a great distinction to recognize that we're not like, that these things aren't totally separate like sides of God, like that his mercy, love, and compassion are a foundation for the anger he does display and he is provoked to because those are the foundation of who he is. That leads to those things. I think it is a great uh, reality that you just pointed out. I mean, what what relationship on earth does Paul use to display as a an illustration towards Christ's love for us in, in the gospel? Husband and wife. Husband and wife in marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, right? It's like every time my wife and I do premarital counseling and I explain to them that ultimately they get married, not because they love each other, but ultimately for God's glory. Right, that 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 is the most important part of their marriage. The glory of God. Right? The reason why Paul uses that illustration, though, is because, like, the the covenant keeping that God does with us and the love that He has for us, like that's the call that Paul's then making to husbands. He's like, dude, like, that's your call to your wife, that level of love, and yeah, it might manifest as anger. I'm not talking about like out of control, you know, um, anger that manifests itself physically and abusively. No, I'm talking about hey, if there if there is real cause for for jealousy and anger because that love and that covenant has been violated, like that is going to be a part of a, a marriage, and that and God's love for us sometimes manifests itself as anger because we've cheated on him. We run after things that are not God. Mm-hmm. And and really, if we think about it logically, it it's the only proper response for God if he truly does love us. That's good. Yeah. So as we continue to look through Exodus 34 then, and and as it goes on in verse 7, what is the relationship between keeping steadfast love for thousands and visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation? And how does that comfort you? Yes, I'll keep this part simple, I think. But... I think kind of what I took away from what Dane was saying, there was twofold, right? One, there are consequences for sin and there should Absolutely. be. Absolutely, yeah. There, there just should be. Yeah. Like, all the time we talk about um, the grace of God or whatever else, but we really only, we, we're only really like huge proponents of grace when we're, we're like referring to ourselves. Oftentimes when it comes to other people, especially if they have sinned against us, mm-hmm. we tend to... In my in my opinion, right, run to justice and, and seeking justice a lot faster. Right? And the good news is, is, is God God seeks justice, and He brings justice. I think the the good news of what we see in the midst of that is that God doesn't abandon us in the midst of 
those consequences. I think you know what we see is is there is a love a love not earned by us can't be taken away by our actions. And while there may be anger and discipline that comes from our sin and rebellion, God still chooses to stay and love, and that's really important. Yeah, I'd say another thing that I would add to that, um, Dane kind of puts it in in a really good way. He says, you know, your sin, he, he kind of leans into the numerical factor of it. He says, you know, your sin will be passed down to your children and grandchildren, but God's goodness will be passed down in a way that inex- inexorably swallows up all our sins. And so kind of similar to, to what Kevin says, or said, you know, the ultimate, I think, takeaway that I get from that is that God's mercy travels much deeper than our sins, right? Like, there's there's a lot of talk of like, oh my gosh, like, I, I got to break this, like, gen, you know, generational sin, right? Like, yeah. the consequences from, from this sin. And what I think, what I think this passage in the Old Testament and even the what i would say the new testament makes crystal clear is that even in the midst of a world that is broken and lives and families that maybe are broken and tarnished with with sin we can look to jesus and not just expect that things will get better but that things will be made new right like when when in the new testament we 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 hear that we are now new creations right like the old being passed away like even even the th- the baggage that we might be like i'm i'm bringing all of this to the table like the the mercy and compassion that we find at the cross is that that we have a god that not only pardons our sin but actually makes us new creations and i think we start to see that that hope even in Exodus. Yeah. You guys have a, a second for me to share something that I, I've been reading in this book. Um, sure. It's uh, called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nguyen. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that incorrect because he's a Dutch uh, mm. priest and theologian. But I think this like fits really well with this idea of Dane was trying to get across. He says, There are very few people that know they are loved without condition or limits. This unconditional and unlimited love is what the evangelist John calls God's first love. Let us love, he says, because God first loved us. The love that often leaves us doubtful, frustrated, angry, and resentful is the second love. That is to say the affirmation, affection, sympathy, encouragement, and support we receive from our parents, teachers, spouses, and friends. We all know how limited, broken, and very fragile that love is. Behind the many expressions of this second love, there is always the chance of rejection, withdrawal, punishment, blackmail, violence, and even hatred. Many contemporary movies and plays portray the ambiguities and ambivalences of human relationships And there are no friendships, marriages, or communities in which the strains and stresses of the second love are not keenly felt. Often it seems that beneath the pleasantries of daily life, 
There are many gaping wounds that carry such names as abandonment, betrayal, rejection, rupture, and loss. These are all the shadow side of the second love and reveal the darkness that never completely leaves the human heart. The radical good news is that the second love is only a broken reflection of the first love and that the first love is offered to us by a God in whom there are no shadows. Jesus' heart is the incarnation of the shadow-free first love of God. From his heart flow streams of living water. He cries out in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who believes in me come and drink. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I think, you know, we're so quick to allow the broken experiences of love that we have in our own lives and the relationships around us to cloud our perception and reality of who God is. And I think what Dane wants us to see is, much like Henry Nguyen saying here, the relationships in this life are but a shadow and broken compared to the reality of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And we need to recapture that vision for that love so that we might see the glory of God fully on display in his love toward us. Amen. Absolutely. So uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I will ask it because I think it is something to reflect on for all of us as we process through uh, not just who Jesus is, but as a greater view of who God is. Um, As you're reading this book, have you seen a change in your view and feelings towards God? To your point, I think this is a clearly yes, right? I think I was alluding to this earlier when I was talking about like my initial uh, thoughts regarding God and his glory. Um, but yeah, this this chapter, just like this book, I really think has just challenged a lot of the assumptions I have. And I think it's probably not the biggest takeaway that most people who read this book would have. But I think for me, it is just the the necessity to consistently come to Scripture willing to be just changed mm-hmm. by, by what I see God revealing about himself and be like, huh, that's just not what I pictured God would be or say and be okay with that. Be like, mm-hmm. this is actually better because my assumptions are probably, <laughs> if you have right. to take either my assumption or what God has revealed about himself, you should take God's revelation 10 out of 10 times, right? So I'll keep it very brief. I, I, I wanted to to quote Dane because I think this was just very well put. He says, perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. I think 
that like hits the nail on the head for me. I, I, I think for, for a very long time, I would definitely say that underlying a, a lot of the sin in my life was this thought process that I had of, you know, God being just like this cold, like you said, glory. Oh, he's got to be cold. Oh, this disciplinarian, like, like we talked about this with the episodes where we talked about like father figures and how that oftentimes like shapes, like what we see in other fathers and in movies and in, in culture. And I think, I think if, if there's anything I've taken away from this book is the God of the Bible is compassionate, is merciful. He will not let the one that is guilty go unpunished. But there's this, there's this, there's this balance where, if we just focus on one end of the extremes, it can lead to, to very, very damaging, um, I, I would say practices, but but really just thoughts about. I think thinking thoughts about God that are not true is a much bigger deal than we think. And I think that's what Dane's trying to highlight there as well. Yeah, I think, you know, this is hard. You know, I, I want to read what Dane said uh, in, in the chapter because I, I think it was actually like really encouraging. He said, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, mm. being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. Mm. Guys, that's what we're doing. I yep. mean, you know, I, I remember the thoughts and the things I believed about God 15, 16 years ago when I first started following him. I look back and I'm like, man, what? <laughs> like, And yet... God loved me through that, mm-hmm. saved me in that. And as I've come to know him more in his word, right, that faith and that dependence and that that understanding has grown over time, and that understanding of his love and his compassion and his mercy and his glory has grown over time. Um, but that this is not, it, it is not a, um, a process that is consistent reproducible across every human being you know isaiah's journey with this is going to look different than david's journey with this then it's going to look than my journey with this the good news is that god loves and is faithful through the midst of it all as he insists on us knowing who he really is not just a cheap imitation or picture of what we might think he is yeah no i think one of the most helpful things for me in the past few years now has just been a challenge that there is wrestling in our faith, you know, and there are things that push against what we've grown up in or what we've come to know from our own perspectives and ultimately like submit before the Lord and that wrestling is healthy. Uh, It is not a bad thing. And it is something where we can in biblical community process through a lot of those challenges, a lot of those things that maybe cause tension and, and, to us, but, you know, through scripture and through, uh, godly community, like we can process healthily and come to a place to understand and appreciate and enjoy more of the fullness of who God reveals himself to be through scripture. 
It's almost as if there's a guy in the Old Testament who actually physically wrestled with God. That's how seriously he took it. Yeah. And it and he actually ends up being a pretty important figure in yeah. God's plan of redemption. Mm. Absolutely. So this chapter started in Exodus. Uh, where who did he wrestle, Kevin? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna no, stop. We are not getting into. I'm just kidding. The, the, um, maybe the another, reality of Christophanies right now. Maybe another um, another podcast episode. If you're really interested, <laughs> you'll email us at podcast at and ask us to talk about it. If you don't, we're probably never going to talk about it. Maybe, maybe that's for the best. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say Isaiah's going to block all emails for the next week. <laughs> Anywho. Um, as I was saying, this chapter did start in Exodus where God revealed his glory to Moses and expressed it through his love, his mercy, and compassion. We've kind of been sitting in the Old Testament uh, mostly in these past couple chapters. So how is this fulfilled then in the New Testament? Sunday school answer time, mm-hmm. right? Indeed. <laughs> no, no, in Jesus though. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, let, let me read John chapter one. You know, that's what that's what Dan quotes, uh, verses fourteen through eighteen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, "This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon." grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he has made him known you know so obviously right when we talk about seeing the glory of God right beholding that we see it in our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, right? Who seen God, who is God, and has made him known to us. Yeah, I'm not gonna add very much more. I would say the section where he talks about Mark six is worth the price of admission of the book. Um, <laughs> so email us, uh, open it up to page one fifty two. I'm kidding, read the whole thing. Um, but when he talks about the parallel of Jesus passing by and how that's the same, the same term used in the Septuagint regarding, uh, Moses and placed in the cleft of the rock. Yeah. Yes. And, and so again, there's just so many passages you can point to where you're like, Jesus is just clearly telling you guys, like you are, you are seeing God incarnate. Right. And I think. Dane sums that all up beautifully at the end where he says, Jesus came to do in flesh and blood what God had done only in wind and voice in the Old Testament. And I think, I think that's it. That's, it's it's just, it's that simple. I don't don't think we need to dilute it or confuse (laughs) it more than that. There's a reason why we're crazy about Jesus because we should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it was definitely a good line because independently of you, I highlighted it as well. So it was a great summary of that reality for sure. So, you know, as we wrap up this chapter, um, 
just really getting a better perspective on God's glory. We hope that you guys are just encouraged to be freshly renewed in knowing that like the Lord loves you and in his love for you is being glorified. And as we are called to reflect that and live that out, we also get to glorify him. Mm. And it's like a beautiful thing that is not cold as, you know, something that I've wrestled with for a long time, but it is so life-giving and just ultimately pushes more and more towards his mercy, grace, compassion, and love for us. So do you guys have any closing thoughts? I would just say, like, if you want to behold the glory of God, set your eyes on Jesus and don't turn them away. Yeah, I'm not going to add to that. (laughs) Absolutely. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening. As always, if you have any further questions, please feel free to email us at podcast.alethiagainswell.com. If you want a book, uh, you can email us at podcast.alethiag.com. And if you have any other questions, also feel free to email us. If you really like this episode, feel free to share it. We would love for you to share it. Uh, Feel free to follow us so that we can help uh, just get more out there and let others also listen and be encouraged because our heart is to encourage and build up the church. So if that is something you're willing to do, please follow along on whatever service you're streaming or podcasting or whatever words they use today. I'm not as in the know, so we're working with what I got here. Um, But with that, guys, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great rest of your week, and go and be a church. Did I say we were done? We we agreed we were all done. <laughs> right, I guess we're all done. This is actually the one you should use. <laughs> Us looking away. I noticed that. you used one recently of me making a pretty sour face. I I try to only use the ones that we make now so that I can never have to do that. There was one. <laughs> like, I try I to use the like ones where you're really mad. I'm trying to, uh, you know, have some intentionality here. Intentionality is good. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the agreement, David. I feel agreed with. <laughs> Welcome to the Be the Church podcast. I am Isaiah Fetterman. That's not what I say. Where we are engaging in conversation. <laughs> At least I'm not the only one who doesn't have it memorized. Yeah. <clears throat> I think Kevin has it down by now. But not a big until I make it. <laughs> Anyways... <clears throat>